Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. So nice to be here today with everybody. Um, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, even as my kids grow, uh, I'm often reminded by neighbors, by just sort of public events that the the youngest uh, of our population are often marginalized or forgotten about, sadly, in so many ways. And it's nice to spend time with people that are really working hard to support um, the the young generation, the early learners and their families uh, and the communities that they, they occupy. We're going to be spending time today with Madeline Takur. She is the president and CEO of the Children's Movement of Florida. Uh, she oversees all of the movement's outreach and communication efforts, including the business engagement initiative, Bosses for Babies, which I love, by the way. Uh, that's such a cool title. Um, she's a Miami native and one of five kids. She is. She was raised trilingual, English, Spanish, and French. You've got me beat there. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's, she's done all these incredible things. Uh, Chicago South Side and spent a year as a teacher assistant in the English as a second language classroom of a Chicago elementary school. And then when she returned to Miami, she was a volunteer tutor at the Overton Youth Centers for several years. Uh, she spent nearly a decade focused on economic and social development in Latin America and the Caribbean. And she works closely or has worked closely with senior executives in the legal tech, consumer goods and financial sectors. Uh, Madeline, it's so nice to spend time with you. I love your background because it's it feels very comprehensive. And when we think about early learning, we think about sort of it, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, and it really speaks to a background that you have. Can you kind of just set the stage for us on where we are with early learning? Because I feel like, and I'll be the one, I'll be the one that reigns on the parade here for, for some. But it's if you're a parent, it's it's front of mind when they are young that we've got to make sure we have resources for our children, for our neighbors, our family members. But then once they they sort of matriculate through as they grow older, we sort of forget about it. But the same needs this are there and potentially growing. Where are we right now? If you want to use Florida as the base, but just your perspective nationally, where are we when it comes to early learning? Sure. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Early learning is not appreciated uh, the way that it should be. And, and that's the first thing. When you think of education, people say K-12, K-12, K-12. It's really, you know, we know that learning begins at birth, that parents are the first ones to support that learning, and that the teachers who are working in the classrooms with infants and toddlers all the way through preschoolers have really specialized skills that we do not have. You know, you think about that old joke of uh, you got a two-year-old's birthday party and you had to wrangle, you know, 10 kids for, for two hours and you couldn't even handle it. And so what, what are these teachers doing? And and they're really, when, when, when you remember what your two-year-old did, I know your kids are older now, but they're speaking in full sentences. They're, they're connecting concepts. They've, they've, they've figured a lot of things out in this world. And what we know from the brain research over the last 40 years is that the first three years are really critical for establishing communication, cooperation. How do you focus on a task? You know, and all of these things, it's the down payment for the K-12 system. I love all that. All of the, the learning that happens. And isn't that maybe potentially the rub? Because it is so critical in that first three years. But for a family, if we've sort of used them as sort of the main character, now the parents or the, the caregiver in general, that is the most chaotic, unnerving time as a human because 
if it's your first, you don't know if you're doing it right. If it's the second, you're trying to manage now, obviously more than one child, but it's so critical. And yet those that are sort of in charge of providing those guide rails to then allow for support and growth to take place, we're kind of running around, you know, losing our minds, but it seems very volatile for, for parents in that regard during that time. It's not sort of a, it's a wonderful time, but it's not exactly a calm, reassuring time. Oh, absolutely. And and you are you are speaking to the choir. I've got two boys at home. They are aged four and two. <laughs> and I was listening just this morning uh, to the representative. She's from Sarasota, Fiona McFarland, who's put forward the big early learning bill in Florida this year. And she is the mother of two kids under three and probably 38 weeks pregnant with her third. And so when she presented this bill on early learning, she said, I, I did this because I know what it's like for parents like me who are working with children under five. And, you know, you're right that parents tend to forget it once they're out of it. And when you go through K-12, you got the PTA all the way on through. For many years, you've got this one organization you can work with. And and we don't have that in early learning. And, and so going back to your earlier question of the state of early learning, what we have is a, a system that is not particularly coordinated. It's more like a set of funding streams. M many parents just paying out of pocket for whatever they can find. Others may be funded you know, federally through Head Start if they're living in poverty or have significant developmental or other delays or, or, or challenges of living in homelessness, things like that. You might have subsidized child care from the state if you're living under the poverty line again. Um, and then if you're lucky enough to live in a state like Florida, when your child turns four, there's there's universal coverage uh, here in Florida. That's just three hours a day. And you think back to the parent as protagonist, as you suggested earlier, and three hours a day is pretty tough for any working parent to take your kid, go to work, pick up your kid again. You know, it's it's, it's nearly impossible reality. Right. And so the funding isn't yet where it needs to be. And the appreciation for the learning that happens isn't yet where it needs to be. And I think those two are related, which is why we spend so much of our time educating on what early learning is and why it's so important, because we believe that will bring the change in, in funding and programming that we need to see. I'm glad that you talked about how you guys focus on educating people on the importance, because it does feel like we are lacking the knowledge. I mean, if you really are cynical about it, it's sort of like, well, we don't have to work. We, the collective, we don't have to worry about it until they are kindergarten age. And it's like, yeah, but we've just now lost a massive opportunity Right. that, you know, there is a trickle down effect. I mean, you would think that if we can create opportunities that are equitable and balanced across the board, we're, we're giving these kids a chance, right? We're giving them a chance right. that I think will pay dividends when they are young adults and adults. And if we don't, aren't, couldn't you argue that that's going to tax our system down the line? We may not see it for 25 years, but aren't there implications that if we, in essence, screwed up in the beginning, we're going to, that bill will come due at some point in time. Right. Well, and that's, that's absolutely right that you'll see it down the line. But our argument is it's not just about the workforce of tomorrow and making sure they have those communication, cooperation, collaboration skills that we talked about earlier. It's also about the workforce today. And we are in, in Florida in a state with the lowest, among the lowest unemployment in the country, really tight labor market. And if you want working parents to be able to participate in that labor market, then you've got to offer the, the kinds of 
family-friendly benefits that allow those parents to be employed. And so it's also about the workforce of today. The parent working parents can show up to work if they have the right childcare and early learning set up for their children. And so it's not just about waiting for, for those um, preschoolers who are going to be your workforce in 18 years. It's It's really about the workforce of today, and we need to remind people of that. Let's talk a little bit about or share your perspective on the collaborative efforts that you now maybe see with parents that are becoming advocates. It feels like something happened just a sort of uh, writ large from the pandemic, which was parents sort of there was a light bulb that went on or maybe it shone a little bit brighter where it was maybe I need to pay a little bit more attention to sort of what's going on day to day. And you're starting to see more people that are advocating for the age that their children are based on sort of where they might be um, securing resources and opportunities. Are you finding that the parent base, even in Florida, is much more active now in wanting to understand, support, and build early learning that is sustainable? Well, yes. And it's extra challenging in those years. You know, you already alluded earlier to the fact that that is the most chaotic time in a parent's life when they're learning how to be a parent, when when the the, the structures of society aren't yet there to, to support you. Um, but that is a big part of what we do at the movement. And, and you know, we are an, an advocacy organization. So we're focused on the, the, the policy and funding changes that are needed to support children to thrive in the zero to five years. But we're also a movement, and that means we do this work together with parents, with educators, with business leaders, with all of those who are our stakeholders for this. And so, yes, in the pandemic, I think a lot of parents of young children felt heard, felt seen. You know, all of a sudden you've got headlines in the paper every day, and it's not on page five, it's on page one. And it says, you know, lines to sign up for childcare, waiting lists of several years to get into this school, you know, and I think that that really galvanized um, the, the population of parents of younger children. And we've been working and, and, and capitalizing on that. Last year, we spent six months traveling the state, having small dinners with parents, primarily also some educators in the classroom and just talking about what, what has your experience been like in early learning? What, what brought you joy from this? What was a challenge, you know, and, and, and this has now become a group of hundreds of parents who are fired up, who understand the legislative process and, and who want to be involved. And so I think a, a, a lot of it is not just, um, becoming fired up about the issue that matters to you in early learning as a parent of young children, but also having access to the information about how are these decisions made? Who is making them? Where can I make an impact? And so we focus on both of those, on listening to parents and on sharing information on, on the advocacy process and how it works. So just by the very nature of what you do and what the movement does, you you and the movement have to be incredibly good at communicating and convening conversations of, of very different groups of people. And so I'd be curious, are there data points when you're having conversations, whether it's, it's sort of that, you know, trying to assemble public-private partnerships or support for a bill, are there data points that over just repeatedly sort of surprise people when you're sitting, and incredibly educated people, and they say, I never knew our Floridians are going through this or that that kids of a certain age are lacking this opportunity. Is there one that that stands out? Oh, one. No, I'll give you maybe four. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, one one is 50% of children who enter kindergarten are not ready to be there. Uh, another is 50, fully 50%. And in some counties, in some schools, that those numbers are higher. 
Also, 73% of children in Florida live in families where all parents work. So just think about, I don't know what your upbringing was like. I was one of five kids. My mom was home with us. That That's not the reality today for, for most families. Um, I think the uh, another couple of things that tend to resonate with people are the fact that 80% of brain growth happens by age three. And that doesn't mean, you know, you've learned everything you're going to learn, but it means those synapses have been fired, have been created. The brain architecture is there. And and so you wait another two years after that to 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 say education begins and, and you're losing out. Um, and and it was one more, but I've, I've forgotten it and you only wanted one. So I've given you three. <laughs> yes, those are staggering. Um, what can K-12 do? Here's what I'll say. It seems like over the last, let's say 10 to 15 years, we have seen some improvement. So, um, I'll be optimistic about this, but I do, I do believe this, uh, sincerely that that we've seen improvement in connecting higher ed with K-12 and K-12 with higher ed, and then seeing, wow, if we can connect these dots, how does that impact college and career readiness? And we keep sort of going down the line. When, okay, let's now put in early learning. Like, what can we be do, doing from the K twelve side, where they're not just sort of in wait for us to deliver, like off of a, a the factory line, you know, the next set of children that are going to now occupy our kindergarten classrooms? Are there fair questions that we can ask K twelve and say, look, guys, you need to step up to the plate here. We're not just putting a bow on these kids and sort of delivering them to you. Like, we need some active engagement here. Yeah, well, active engagement is the key to that. You know, we need we need preschoolers to go and visit kindergarten classrooms. We need them to understand and see what that is. So much with young children is, are they feeling comfortable? And if they're not feeling comfortable, they're not as good as communicating as adults, and they're just going to act out. And if you've got a room of, of uh, you know, the ratios, of course, go up from, from pre-K to kindergarten, you've got a teacher maybe alone with 22 kids, and one or two of those is acting up because they don't feel comfortable that teacher is going to have a more challenging time. And and so I think, you know, communicating about the expectations on both sides, that we don't need to bring the rigor of the first and second grade year down into preschool just because we've we've figured out that these kids really are learning significant um, things for their education. We need to honor the way that they learn through play and things like that. We also need to share what are the milestones? What is it that, that a kindergarten teacher really wishes for children to know and then and focus on those things um and and so maybe identifying the letters you don't have to have the whole alphabet memorized uh, you, you need to understand the concept of you're laying the train tracks two words sort of, on the right page. you're laying exactly yeah and so don't put too much pressure there are plenty of three and four-year-olds who read all across this country all across this world it's not what the milestone should be there there are building blocks that uh, that should be communicated between the two sides Madeline, let's talk about the talent pool of early learning educators. Um, I don't know if I read a lot about this. I'll just tell you sort of my experience is that in my perspective is that we're struggling to identify and also provide support and awareness about the value of the educator with a young child. And if you go to, like I live in the Nashville area and there are all these franchises around, right, for early learning, these preschools and these sorts of things, they struggle to find talent. Yeah. And there's, there are economical reasons. There are reasons because in essence, culturally, we're not, I don't think we celebrate the early learning educator like we should. And so you get young people that may not be terribly qualified just yet. That doesn't mean they don't have talent or the spirit to be able to do it. But it's sort of like we're, and almost at every turn, we're sort of saying, eh, you know, (laughs) we'll get to it. 
But I think that has an impact over time because those are the first experiences that a young child has with the role of a teacher. You get a good one, right. incredible, amazing, right? But if it, that doesn't happen, I saw that with my two kids. My my son had the same teacher along his path in preschool. He never had disruption. Mm. My daughter, two years younger, every year was like between two and oh, four yeah. educators. Yeah. Just the changeover. And you just kept saying, golly, we just want her to have the same experience her brother had. Talk a little bit about the talent pool and are there ways in which maybe it goes back to education, having conversations that let people know that we do need to find the best and brightest and we need to find economic models that support people being attracted to these positions. Because I don't think we can just sort of right. rest on there are people out there that want to do it for good, right? It's just, it's a different world, but maybe that's just right. Right. Well, Rod, you probably know more than I do about the challenge even of attracting teachers into the the, the K-12 education system. What, what people may not know is that your preschool teacher is probably making half the starting pay of, of a teacher in the older years. And, and then you question, you know, why aren't we having good people stay here? And it goes back to what you alluded to. You've got the ones who love it, who stay, or the ones who don't have another option, who might have their kids in that school and they're subsidized. Good and, um, and so I think, yes, we have to celebrate educators. We have to recognize that they are educating just the same as teachers on down the education continuum. And, and taxpayers need to recognize that. And we need to see why is it that our funding models have allowed for only half the pay? You know, something like three quarters of, of teachers in the early learning system are, are receiving public benefits. That means they are living at or close to the poverty line. You know, is that the, the, the kind of stress that we want for the teachers who are working with our babies? Isn't there an irony that we can go out and say to our, to uh, the the taxpaying base, we can say, look, we need infrastructure fund. We need funding for our roads, our bridges. And yet we can't apply that same thought process to <laughs> those that share the same species <laughs> and say, you know, <laughs> these are bridges to the future as well. Maybe we ought to invest and look at it that way. I mean, to me, that's infrastructure, right. not to sort of make it this benign kind of uh, thing without the emotion of humanity, but my gosh, if we can invest in roads and say, we need to have lights on the road, we need safety, you know, this seems like a no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. It is something that that we should all be willing to invest in. And we should see how it brings returns for us, whether we have children or not. You know, the 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 children in our preschools today are the nurses who are going to take care of you when you get old, Rod. I mean, do you, <laughs> what, what kind of education do you want for 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 that future? They're going to refuse and, me you know, that. They're also the doctors who are going to operate on you, and <laughs> yeah, and, and all, all down the line. And um, you know, I think you also asked like, why are we not finding the the, the qualified professionals? And and I think we really need to do a better job of sharing just how how many qualifications these teachers have how how magical they are um and and that will will bring us a long way yeah because we also i mean again not to make it sound so sterile but we also need to you know kids today are experiencing education in a way that will either motivate them to join the profession or not right. <laughs> it's not that it's always about marketing but you know every other sector does it every other sector is right. aware that 
if I drink a Coca-Cola as a kid on a field trip now and, and I'm a third grader, I might think about that in fifth grade. And, you know, you just sort of right. you build these habits, these consumer habits. Right. Uh, let's sort of turn the dial to the positive side of it. What are some things that you are seeing that give you that say to you, all right, there's a long way to go. And in essence, it'd be great if you were out of work, by the way. Right. That would mean that we're doing oh, everything. <laughs> let's have a campaign. No, uh, it it's one of those things where if you didn't have to do anything, that'd be amazing because that means we really understand what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, but that's not the case and that's okay. But what are some things that you look at and you say, look, we got a long way to go, but we are making strides. We are educating, we are informing and recreating a new base of thoughtful parents and community members that are dedicated to the cause. Yeah. Well, I think it is encouraging, you know, sticking to Florida where where I'm based, you know, our, our Senate president this year was totally focused on family in her opening address. And you think about the experience of a family with young children. We are funding our subsidized childcare in this state at a level now where a, a, a two-parent household, um, where both parents are making minimum wage, they are too wealthy to qualify for our subsidized childcare. And, you know, I, I think we can we we can look at at changes like that. And I think you asked me for the positive side. We're already starting to do that on some of our programs. So this year there is a bill that is looking to raise eligibility for kid care for our subsidized health insurance for young children. You know, we've we've over the last few years made a number of changes in uh, sort of to impact the benefits cliff, stop families from falling off this cliff. Um, we've also um, revamped and, and redesigned the state's early learning system from an accountability standpoint, and they understand step two is the funding to to support it. Um, and and we did see last year, I think it was a twelve percent increase in our uh, VPK funding. That's our universal pre K in in Florida. Uh, last year. And so things are happening. The the other thing you you mentioned bosses for babies in in the beginning. I appreciate your your nodding to the name. Um, but there the whole vision that we had with that program is that employers have a huge role to play in supporting kindergarten readiness because they have an impact on the adult that is most important in a child's life. And so what companies can do internally through their policies and practices that, that are family friendly really support their bottom line because they get to attract and retain the best workforce, but also contributes to community prosperity because it helps to raise that kindergarten readiness. And for us, that's always been about you know, talking to the private sector, having them innovate, having them choose. There's no one way to do this. It's it's finding the fit of policies that are right for your business, for your workforce. So we didn't expect this to come up in the legislature, but this year it did. And so I mentioned Fiona McFarland at the top of the podcast, and her bill is all about creating uh, early learning tax incentives for businesses. So asking businesses, subsidize the childcare for your employees to the tune of $300 a month, and we'll give that back to you as a tax credit. And, you know, so so few, you think of corporate tax and in a state like Florida, so few companies are really big enough to pay that tax. So they address that by saying, well, let's find the taxes that you are paying. Let's reimburse your sales tax. Let's reimburse the alcohol tax. Let's reimburse, you know, and, and so that is a huge step forward for two reasons. You know, one is it, it, it tackles that affordability for parents who are going to take advantage of that, um, you know, employers who can take advantage of that tax credit. 
But it also begins to push the business community on their role in this conversation. And, and, and that is something that needs to happen to move more public investment that we know will be needed in the years to come. Well, I find you incredibly likable and thoughtful in this discussion. I think it's important. It just is. We've got to be able to understand that these are it 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 boils down to communication and conversations with people that allow us to feel a part of something, even if we don't have kids that are within an early learning system. I think you do that in spades and what you're doing at the Children's Movement Florida is obviously indicative of that. I want to make sure that people can find you. Where's the best place for them to find out more about the children's movement? Ah, so uh, we are on all the social media platforms. Our website is www.childrensmovementflorida.org. But you can always find you can also find us at www.bossesforbabies.com. I just that would make it easier for people. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up with the great work. Uh, I think it's important to celebrate the people out there that are choosing to make a difference in their communities, and you're doing that. Like I said, in spades. What a pleasure to spend some time with Madeline Takur. She is the CEO of the Children's Movement of Florida. I'm your host. Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.